Well, welcome to another Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, our final Everyone Wednesday edition for 2023. And on today's program, we're actually going to take a little, we'll go back in the Wayback Machine and revisit a couple of conversations that I've had recently with a couple of titans in Christian media. One of them, Susie Larson, spectacular host, author, and she has written a very powerful and poignant book called Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? If you've ever felt abandoned by God, alone, somehow that your faith isn't good enough or strong enough and you're failing, I'm facing major problems. Uh, Susie's book is a must read. And we have not one, not two, but three copies of it to give away at 800-227-5278. Then in hour number two, uh, we're going to have a conversation with Chip Ingram uh, talking about marriage that works at God's way of becoming a spir- spiritual soulmates, best friends, and passionate lovers. Uh, we do have one of those books to give away as well at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you've ever been a victim of abuse, if you've been a victim of church abuse, if you've uh, found yourself in situations that are way more difficult than having to try to keep the lights on or whatever, um, this next program you're about to hear, the next conversation with author Susie Larson is one that I really hope will touch your heart. That's why we're revisiting it today on this Everyone Wednesday edition of The Bottom Line. Let's get into part one of my conversation with Susie right now. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that I think is important for all of us as believers to understand. We, a lot of times we get the macro part of God. We understand how big he is, how great he is, and how small we are in the middle of all that. But when it comes to the micro part of God, the, the innermost parts of the inner workings of our relationship with him, how much do we really understand? Uh, Susie Larson is a best-selling author, national speaker. She's the host of the popular radio program, Susie Larson Live. And uh, she is has written a brand new book that is going to open our eyes to how close God gets to us and how close we can get to him. The book is called Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Susie Larson, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, such an honor to be with you. Thanks for having me today. Well, we appreciate what you've done here. I do. I mean, because let's face it, everyone knows, you know, the great omnipotent God, you know, the great and powerful, if you will. Here, there, everywhere, you know, he's constantly kind of in our midst. At the same time, though, there are those who say, hey, you know what? God doesn't care about where you park. God doesn't care about, you know, how you comb your hair, this, that, and the other thing. He has the hairs numbered, but he doesn't care about that. You're kind of pushing back against that idea in this brand new book what what led you to say this is i mean where i'm supposed to be in the writing space right now well i appreciate that question so much because i feel very passionate about that i've actually heard speakers say god doesn't care where you work it doesn't care where you park uh, just do those things it's on to him and that may sound like a good talking point but i would beg to differ based on what scripture says because he delights in every detail of our lives that as you say every hair on our head is numbered every mm-hmm. thought that he has towards us. It out, they outnumber the grains of sand. And you think of who God is, every thought that he has about you, Roger, is holy. Like mm. he's not ever breathing his eye and, you know, breathing a heavy sigh and rolling his eyes because he can't, you know, you can't get it together. I mean, he is an intended, attentive, invested, loving Heavenly Father. And I wasn't a perfect mom, but I was an engaged mom. My boys are grown now. And mm. I can tell you, there was not even one time when those boys asked me, can I go to the park or go to the neighbor's house? Not once did I ever say, I, I don't care. <laughs> I never <laughs> once said that because I yeah. care so much and how much better of a father he is. And I think it is a bit of a cop-out 
to, to relegate him to that position because then you're not going to feel compelled to seek him. But when you seek him, you'll find him, and you'll find him very interested and involved in your life. You know, it's interesting you talk about the, the you'll never get that kind of exasperated, you know, sigh or whatever with God. And I'll never forget the moment my son was a first year of college, and he was kind of chuckling at the fact that he said, oh, boy, I don't want to give that reaction to whatever it was we were talking about, because I don't want to get the exasperated head tilt from dad. And I went, the what? <laughs> and, and his sister started laughing, and they said, you know, you kind of tilt your head to the right and go... <laughs> like that. And ever since then, I thought, you know, I wondered, I, I often think about that. There are, I know there are times when I do things and they're, that are out of God's will that I get the exasperated head tilt, or as my wife would say, the side eye, you know, from him. But what you're talking about, I think is a whole different dimension. Is God pleased with our sin? Of course not. But does God not take interest in everything that we're doing? That's a whole different conversation. And I'm really glad you, you brought it up. Was there something in your world that maybe sparked this, that, that said, this is the, the reason why I want to write this book? Wow, that's so good. Well, just a side note, my husband rubs his temples when he's stressed. And uh, you know, the kids have made him rub his temples, and I've uh -huh. made him rub his temples. So I do joke. I'm sure I've made Love God it. rub his temples at times. Uh -huh. and, uh -huh. and truly, when you think about even the Israelites, he did get very frustrated with them. But he saw yeah. them always and saw us always, sees us always through a redemptive lens. And I think that's extremely important. He's not given to bouts of reaction. I mean, he is God. And and for me, Roger, I'll tell you, my context comes from, you know, I was raised in a large family, fifth of seven kids, and uh, was a people pleaser, rule follower um, in a denomination where I knew God was real. I knew it. In my, as a child, I knew he was real. I, I think I even sensed his presence. I know I did as a child, mm -hmm. but I didn't know Jesus was accessible. I didn't have any kind of gospel preached to me or anything like that. But I had two really significant childhood traumas that happened that uh, really profoundly impacted my view of the world, my view of God, and my view of the enemy. And mm -hmm. The first one was about nine years old. I was uh, pinned down by some boys in our neighborhood uh, and sexually assaulted. And oh. my dad was oh. the, the mayor of our city for 27 years. And so as a young girl, even, you know, I knew we were a public family, and these boys mm -hmm. were connected to my brothers. And so, you know, I just... I was afraid I would bring some kind of shame or scandal on right. the family, so I, I didn't tell anybody, but it literally opened up a canyon of fear and insecurity. And then about 10 years old, I was walking home from school, and I'm just, I'm 5'2 now, so I was probably four foot tall back then, and uh, <laughs> I had to cross a baseball field to get home, and I just hear out of the, my peripheral, uh, some boys say, get her, and they were hiding out in the dugout, and they were smoking something or taking drugs or something. I know mm. that now because in my adult mind, I, I saw the crazed look in their eyes, but they ran me down, knocked me to the ground, and beat me to a pulp, and mm. laughed wildly. They did it. They kicked me in the stomach and punched me in the face, and they had this laughed, like, crazed look, and they were, they were just beating me up for sport, and I'm utterly traumatized, curled up in a ball, crying and screaming. No. And when they were done with me, I, I remember like it was yesterday, they pushed off of me and walked away and laughed and said, can you believe we just did that? And I had a fat lip, and I had scratches on my face and snarls in my hair. I was mm. My bell was so rung. I, mm -hmm. I was so traumatized, mm -hmm. and I got up, and I, I didn't hear this audibly, but I heard in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. Mm. And that's when I knew the devil was real. And that mm -hmm. is really, mm -hmm. Roger, if you read any of my past books, the fear has been a companion. I've, I've overcome a lot. I'm not the person I was. Right. I'm not fearless yet, but I, I'm not a fearful person anymore. But I had a lot to overcome because of those things. And I knew the devil was real. I knew God was real. But I thought, really, as a young person, I was at the mercy, mostly, of the enemy. Came to Christ as a young teen, and it was in my young adult years 
during a month on bed rest with a high-risk pregnancy. And I, doctors let me get up one day just because I'd been in bed for, you know, three months at this point, had three months to go and had mm-hmm. two little babies still. And my life just, you know, all of my insecurities, all my fears were surfacing. Sure. And my one day up, I met my old college roommates for lunch, and uh, I was so careful. We went for a walk, but that was too much. Went back to bed. Two weeks into, two weeks later from that outing, still pregnant, my face started to go numb, and my arms started to tingle, and hmm. neurological fireworks started to go off in my body. And so I had three months of left of bed rest with neurological stuff, and I was still hmm. new enough in my face. I thought God lost my address or changed mm-hmm. his mind about right. me. And my, fr- my friends all had health and wealth, and I had neither. Well, long story short, I delivered our son. My health plummeted, and they thought first it was MS or brain tumor. And a year later, found out my one day up, I'd been unknowingly bit by the deer tick and contracted Lyme oh, disease. Oh, Susie. And uh, which affects me still to this day. I've, I've come a long way, but it's been, not been an easy battle. And again, Roger, I heard in my head, I can get to you anytime, anywhere. And so my mm-hmm. early years of faith really, truly were forged with digging into the Word, going, what is true about God? What is true about me? Nothing came easy for me. And there were times God broke through and brought revelatory insight about who He is and who I am, and other times where He was very silent. So my my prayer for this book is that it's a healing balm for people to know how to navigate both the times when He doesn't seem to be speaking and the times when He is. You know, we have a choice to make, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. what we believe about God really makes all the difference in the world. But we can be like the Israelites. They, they saw so many miracles, and yet in that little time that they had to wait while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, they mm-hmm. got impatient. They yep. diminished Moses. They said, we don't know what's become of this fellow, right? And they built idols, and we can do the same thing if we forget who God is. I want us to remember who God is, know that He is good. It's the enemy that's the thief. And when we can remember His character, we can navigate each and every one of these seasons. Wow. We're going to take a break right now because I need it. Okay, I mean, I know (laughs) listening to Susie's testimony, this is incredible. But when you think about all of everything that Susie Larson's been through and that she writes about in her new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, where is God when you need him most? If you have found yourself kind of plumbing the depths of your soul and saying, gosh, it feels like I'm separated from God or it feels like God's punishing me somehow, or maybe it's even retroactive, like this this kind of spiritual clawback, you know, that's going back into my past, um, you'll be encouraged by this book because of the fact that it talks about how you can ponder his presence and you can experience the supernatural power of God. You, you, can, you can understand what it's like for him to lavish his grace upon you. And this is a fantastic resource for that. Susie Larson, host of Susie Larson Live is my guest. The book Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Susie Larson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. If you're just joining us or if you just caught the tail end of what she was sharing in the opening segment, I encourage you, I implore you to go to thebottomlineshow.com and catch the entire podcast of this because uh, you're going to be blessed uh, beyond measure. Susie Larson, best-selling author, national speaker, host of the radio program, Susie Larson Live. How long have you been doing that program now? That's, a, that's, that's no small feat with all the writing and speaking you do to maintain five days a week on the radio as well. Spoken like a true radio guy. You're so right. That's a lot of work. So, yeah. um, been doing radio for 16 years. So wow. I started probably the first four years I was a guest host. So uh, for about 12 years I've had my own show. And you're uh-huh. so right. The daily of reading books and prepping and then writing your own. Uh, it, it does take some focus and discipline. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Well, as you shared earlier about your amazing testimony and the fact that God was kind of an idea to you until he became real to you, but not after you'd been through some massive trauma uh, in the book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? I'm sure a lot of people, it's no surprise it has five star ratings all the way across the board because you're, you're really hitting a, a hard memory with people. We were talking earlier a little more lightheartedly about God's exasperated head tilt or rubbing of the temples, you know, when we do something that we think kind of drives him away from us. And yet you write about in this book that he is, I mean, he's with us all. Uh, why is it that we can have that confidence? I mean, what, what is it that you have discovered, Susie Larson, with your background and with the trauma that you've experienced, the fact that you have the devil literally whispering in one ear saying, I can get you and God can't get close. And yet, you know, in your heart, but the Holy Spirit's revealed to you that God is close. I mean, closer than your next breath. I mean, he's with you in every situation. How is it that you reconcile the fact that there's evil in the world, there's been attacks against you, but God is your driving force right now? Mm, so good. You know, again, there's verses in Scripture that make those promises. You draw near, He draws near. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. In fact, you talked about that the, the God, you know, the, the 30,000-foot view, the one who put the stars in place. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the stars and calls them out by name. His, how great is our Lord, His power is absolute. So think about that. He calls all the stars by name, and He heals up your hurts. I think we have to get a revelation of who He is. But you're so right. When life batters you, you can identify more with bracing for impact, waiting for the next shoe to drop, uh, accusing God of things that the devil is guilty of. And, you know, I had a pretty massive health relapse after kind of finding a way to navigate for about 20 years with the health challenges. I'm a fitness person. I worked in the fitness industry for a lot of years, so I mm. know some things about how to fight back. But eight years ago, I had a really massive relapse that was absolutely devastating to me at this age and stage of my life. And it was worse than the first round. And I, I was army crawling, and I didn't think I was going to make it through. And I was so devastated, and I was hurt by God. I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And uh, there was two things that the Lord brought me to that were super important for me to, to frame my own disappointments. And one was he brought me to that story where John the Baptist, now remember Jesus said, no greater man born to woman than John the Baptist. Right. And, uh, you know, he baptized Jesus. This is Jesus' cousin. I mean, think about how prophetic even his own birth. I mean, all of it was amazing. But when John was in his own season of obscurity and he was in jail, he doubted himself, and that should comfort you when you walk through times of when you're thrust out of the action where everybody seems to be living their best life but you. So he sends his friends to say, are you the Christ, or should we look for someone else? And I feel like Jesus' answer is laced with conviction and compassion, because he says, you tell John, you know, the lame still leap, the blind still receive their sight, the deaf still right. hear. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. In other words, I'm still the same God. I'm the same miracle-working God. You might go through seasons where you're not where the action is, where you feel cut off from the story, where the promises don't feel true. And in those places, blessed are you who are not offended by me. And I realized uh, you've got to deal with that stuff of your heart, because that's where the enemy will try to get in and again and get you. I always say every day you're given the opportunity to either accuse God or trust God. The other thing that really, really helped me heal, that really is what this book came out of and the following devotional that comes out in January, was a friend approached me because she could tell I was so battered by this storm. And I'm, I'm a seasoned, serious follower of Christ, but I, I'm still worshiping, still reading the Word, 
but she could see a sadness in me and a mistrust that I didn't. I interpreted this bracing for impact not as a mistrust of God, but a natural reaction to an unpredictable disease because these neurological surges would hit me out of nowhere and they're terrifying. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it really was a mistrust of God. And she said, Susie, goodness and mercy, only goodness and mercy are allowed to follow you because you follow Jesus. And she said, mm. if you think anything different when you think about God, that means something in you needs to be healed and something in your thinking is out of alignment. And wow. she said, there's a pattern of theft in everybody's life. And the enemy starts from our childhood to condition us to believe those lies so he can keep coming in and stealing from us. And, mm. and the enemy has stolen your perspective of God. Mm. So even though I loved him and I feared him and I served him and I wasn't going hog wild into sin, I was hurt by him, disappointed in him. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I wouldn't have said that out loud till I faced it. Sure. And I realized what I had imprinted in my heart was he can't be trusted. Like, I love him. I'm going to end up in heaven with him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, he can't be trusted. And so when I look, please cut me off, Roger, if you need to. But no, I have fine. found myself. OK, I have found myself very intrigued by why the Israelites, the first generation, didn't make it to the promised land and why they were exiled to Babylon, because I feel like we are a people exiled right now. And I'm like, mm. I don't. I don't want to make the same mistakes that they did. Lord, I want to learn from what they did wrong, because mm-hmm. they, they did some things wrong, right? And uh, one of the first things that they did wrong in the Old Testament is they stopped listening to God. You can only listen to one voice at a time, and they listen right. to other voices, and by nature, their heart hardened. Well, there's another insight in Psalm 106, verse 7, but you got to look it up in the Amplified version, because it expands the meaning. In the Amplified, Psalm 106, 7, it gives us three things that they did that they didn't do, that help. when I started to do these things, I came back to this love relationship with God going, you're not the theft thief here, the enemy is. You're the mm-hmm. God who mm-hmm. saves. And it just brought my heart back to life. And here they are. The first thing they didn't do was to remember or appreciate the significance of God's miracle. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to think about this. They cried out to God, deliver us. He sent them Moses. He loaded them down with the riches of Egypt. He, he healed their bodies because not one feeble among them. I mean, he parted mm-hmm. the seas. What more could this God do for them to set them free? But as soon as Moses was taken too long on Mount Sinai, they made idols. And they didn't appreciate the significance and the timing of God's miracle. So I say, right. if you're in the middle and you're waiting for your miracle, pull one out of your past or a part of the history of God's Word and say, this miracle is enough for me today. He's the same God. They didn't mm-hmm. remember or appreciate the significance. Second thing, they stopped marveling at the abundant mercies of God. Mm-hmm. Think about this. He sends new mercies to your door every morning before you have a chance to blow it. I mean, he's so committed <laughs> to getting you safely yeah. home that he's yeah. made provisions before you've needed them. We should be perpetually in awe that he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. We should never right. take that for granted, and they did. Right. And third, they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their heart, and that's where mm. I had lost my way, Roger. I, I loved him, I worshipped him, but, you know, like, like, imagine a wife who's hurt by her husband, where she's still cooking for him, she's still being kind, but she's got a little bit of locked elbow because sure. <laughs> there's a, a disconnect. And we've got to make the reconnect, and you imprint his loving kindness on your heart by getting to know His love again. So this book was really born out of that process of falling back in love with God, tethering myself even tighter to, to who He actually really is versus what my circumstances say, and then you get perspective. You know, if you live in your soul, which is your mindset on the flesh is, is death, life, mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, you'll never get the true picture of your life. But if you live mm-hmm. by the Spirit, then you will start to be able to frame your trials redemptively, because that's when life and peace, you, and you can face the facts of your story when you're standing on the truth of who God is. 
It's amazing when you hear a testimony like Susie Larson's today here on The Bottom Line. Susie's the author of the book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need It Most? When you hear a testimony like this and you see the fact that uh, that, that she found comfort in the middle of all this and was willing to be remolded, reshaped, you know, in an area where there, uh, the, where there needed to be that kind of remembrance. I will remember is one of the most powerful statements in scripture. And you see this with David all throughout the Psalms. And the fact that the, you were talking about the mercies of God that are so marvelous are in lamentations for crying out loud. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we're, we can marvel in the midst of the pain, in the midst of what we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're frustrated with. And so that there's beauty in that. And there's a simplicity in that. Uh, Susie, we've got about 90 seconds left in our time together. And you have really pierced part of someone listening right now who says, oh my goodness, you just read my journal. You just read my blog posts. You know, this is, this is kind of where I am. Maybe not the, the same physical challenges or emotional, but this is where I am where I realize, hey, even though I thought I had it all together, I've kind of been in exile. What encouragement do you have for that person who wants to get off of Patmos and get back in the flow here? Hmm, good, good, good question. You know, I would say stop amassing all your sorrows and sitting in them and getting your perspective from them. God sees them. He's collected the tears uh, in, in a bottle, but uh, start amassing your blessings. In fact, see every good gift in your life with a gift tag to you from God, because every good gift comes from Him. And when Amen. you start to attach every good thing in your life as a very personal gift from a Father who loves you, you'll reframe your perspective and start to believe again that He really is for you. He's, his purposes are for you. And when your story is all set and done, you will love your story because he's doing something amazing with your life. I love that. That's beautiful perspective from Susie Larson, the host of Susie Larson Live. Where do we find you online, Susie? I know a lot of our listeners were in the Western U.S., but would love to be able to pick you up and catch you daily on the radio. Where do we find you there? Well, thanks for doing that. Once the live show is over, you can go. it goes to podcasts. So wherever podcasts are played, you can search Susie Larson Live, or you can listen online during the live show, 3 o'clock Central, at MyFaithRadio.com, or get the free app. But I think it might be easiest to just find me on podcast after the fact. Susie Larson Live, you'll find it. Okay, we'll link that up at thebottomlineshow.com and also a link for the book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most by Susie Larson. Susie, thank you for being so vulnerable and so authentic and sharing your faith with us today. Not that you don't always do that on your program, but it was just a, a whole bunch of authenticity that we really needed to hear. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Well, thanks for all you do for the kingdom, Roger. Thanks for having me today. Wow. And we just scratched the surface. Uh, great to revisit this conversation with uh, dear respected author and broadcaster Susie Larson today here on The Bottom Line. The book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you or someone you know is going through a season of intense struggle, Susie details sexual abuse and church abuse. It just, it's powerful. Um, this is the book for you. And we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Susie Larson is the author. The book is titled Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? And it's kind of a Yoda type way of, you know, where is God when you need him most? Closer than your next breath. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. 
and the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. My thanks again to Susie Larson for a powerful conversation about a deeply uh, necessary new book called Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? 800-227-5278. We have not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, Susie and her husband, Kevin, will be celebrating nearly 40 years of marriage in 2024. They have been through so much together. And they're a real inspiration. They, they certainly are. But the fact is, when you are going through a hardship like she described, sexual abuse, uh, you know, just being beaten up, just being um, literally, um, it's amazing because there are questions then that you ask about God when you wonder if he's speaking to you. Is, is feeling good the same as feeling God? Is there anything I could do when it seems like God is silent? How do I know if I'm really hearing the voice of God? These are questions that people who've been through abusive seasons ask all the time, kind of in private company. You know, the, the, I, I'm not sure I should bring this up type of conversation, but they do it anyway. And I'm grateful that Susie has given a voice to this discussion because there are victimizers and there are victims in cases like this. And yet the good news is God is sovereign over all. God can work all things together for good who love him and are called according to his purpose. But sometimes it takes some really difficult work and a lot of vulnerability. And Susie writes about that in her book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Three copies of the book we're giving away today here on Everyone Wednesday. Final Everyone Wednesday for 2023. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. If you're just joining us, we always kind of give the formal entry at the start of each half hour because there are different stations that pick up the Bottom Line Show. Kind of some do a half hour here and a half hour there. And at KCBC, we kind of look like the Scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz, right? You know, part of me is over here and part of me is over here. But, you know, it is kind of fun. I have I don't mention this enough, but on KCBC especially. If you are listening on AM 770 um, in Cal- Northern California, thanks for tuning in. We come in right after Dr. James Dobson's family talk. And on family talk, the announcer for the show is me. And I'm very involved in the ministry of Dr. James Dobson's family talk. And we're grateful for the two releases that we have uh, every weekday at 9.30 a.m. and 3 o'clock p.m. on AM 770 KCBC. And uh, I encourage you, if you enjoy family talk and listening to the bottom line on KCBC, um, why not make a tax-deductible year-end donation to Dr. James Dobson Family Institute? Uh, it is doubled between now and Sunday, the 31st. There's a special matching gift in place. And I encourage you to uphold that ministry. Um, doctor's doing some great work. He's 87. He was in the studio a couple of weeks ago doing some great... We, we started to record a 26-minute interview, just the standard half hour. And we thought it was done. And we wrapped up and then... 
he got going again, and we went for another 45 minutes. He was just, he was so full of life and passion and talking about parents and talking about families. I highly recommend that you, if you aren't listening to Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk on KCBC, you can check it out. You can also check it out at the Family Talk app, the JDFI app, or uh, all the other great Crawford stations where he is heard. Um, our Denver affiliate, uh, KLTT, uh, picks up Family Talk at 4.30 Mountain Time. You get the bottom line from 2.30 to 3 on KLTT. Monday through Friday, and then Family Talk comes out at 4.30, right after Steve Gregg and The Narrow Path. And it's fun to just have all our friends, you know, broadcasting, <laughs> you know, where they do. And so um, make sure you make, take care of those program notes. Uh, today's program, it, the first hour of it anyway, is kind of tough. It's, it's, it's a little uh, difficult to work through. Susie Larson joined me in the first half hour of the program. We revisited a conversation that I had with Susie earlier this year about her book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, the subtitle really could be the title, Where is God When You Need Him Most? And Susie details cases of abuse that go back to um, when she was a young child, elementary school, and uh, cases of abuse that happened um, in her adult years. And, um, and, and, and asking that question, if you are going through a hardship and a struggle, and then something like, you know, if you're walking with the Lord, then something like this happens, your first question is, where are you, God? I mean, it just, it doesn't, it seems like you're not here because this wouldn't have happened if you'd been here. And so knowing that God is literally closer than your next breath is very reassuring. So Susie's story is so gripping. And today on Everyone Wednesday, we have not one, not two, but three copies of her book that we're giving away today. And Crystal's standing by to take your calls at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line for one of these three copies of Susie Larson's book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. If you've had a tough year and you're kind of wrapping up the year and wanting to just kind of, you know, take a deep breath and kind of get things right with God again, this is a good book to have. Um, in just a few moments, we're going to get into a topic about healthy sexuality uh, in marriage. Chip Ingram is going to join me to revisit that in a conversation that we had on his book recently called Marriage That Works, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends, and Passionate Lovers. And there's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The reason this is so important is because oftentimes we hear stories like the one we're about to share about a marriage that isn't or didn't go as well as perhaps it could have. And it's a cautionary tale about a man who's a, f a husband, a father, and a pastor who recently uh, met his ultimate demise as a result of sexual sin. A guy called Jared Booker, I don't know this man. Um, he was serving as the pastor of student ministry and also worship at Nashua Baptist Church in New Hampshire. On November 25th, he was terminated, his employment was, uh, because a couple days earlier, church officials say they became aware of a criminal investigation into Mr. Booker, quote, uh, due to concerning credible uh, allegations of sexual abuse against minors. That was on November 22nd that the church was made aware. To their credit, the church took swift action. By November 25th, well, here's a statement from the church. Uh, 
they were church officials say they became aware of the criminal investigation into him due to concerning credible allegations of sexual abuse against minors. These allegations, I'm quoting them now, uh, prompted an internal review, which revealed further evidence of misconduct. Regardless of the outcome of any criminal investigation, this behavior undeniably violated the moral and ethical standards we expect of our leaders and did not uphold the standards of our faith. Consequently, we made the decision to immediately terminate Jared's employment effective November 25, 2023. We communicated this decision and the existence of the evidence to our congregation on November 26, which is a Sunday. At that time, we refrained from detailing the allegations to maintain the integrity of the ongoing legal process. We assured our church that they would share that we would share all pertinent information with them as soon as it was feasible, and we did so on November 29. Our hearts are heavy for the victims, for Jared's family and our congregation, many of them uh, knew and respected him for years. We are dedicated to supporting everyone affected by Jared's inexcusable actions, both within our church and beyond. We ask for your prayers as we navigate this devastating situation. According to John Sinelli, who's the Public Information Officer and Communications Division Supervisor for the Nashua Police Department, they confirmed that Pastor Booker was being investigated for child sex offenses. According to the sergeant, quote, we learned of the alleged crimes through an investigation by another police department. Uh, Jared Booker was employed by Nashua Baptist Church for nearly a decade. He was responsible for leading musical worship each week and worked specifically with teenagers at the school. Um, this is a, a guy who, it's unfortunate because I mentioned that this is a guy who worked in youth ministry. He was a husband and father. He'd been in a pastorate for about 10 years, 37 years of age. And all of a sudden these charges came to light. Now, what makes this even more insidious and more unfortunate is the fact that the congregation was made aware of what, I mean, this is how quickly it moved. November 22nd, Nashua police department, uh, informed church officials that there was a criminal investigation going into Jared Booker. They said that the charges were credible allegations of sexual abuse against minors. Now, knowing that this guy worked in student ministry and the worship department for a while, we don't know how the ages of the victims. We do know there was more than one. We also know this is a 37-year-old guy who was hanging around a lot of teenagers and perhaps middle schoolers. We don't know how young the children were. We don't know if this guy, as we've seen stories like this happen before, there was a youth pastor somewhere locally who was engaged in a relationship, a sexual, consensual sexual relationship when he was 27 and a girl in his youth group was 17, literally a couple months before her 18th birthday. Completely inexcusable. But when you look at what's going on, I mean, there are different degrees and different variances that investigators have to look at. I don't know what made this case any different than any of those other ones. I mean, I don't have that information, so I'm not even going to try to speculate. But you have to ask the question why a guy who's a married father with a couple of children who spent 10 years at a church, dialed into the youth, dialed into the worship. I mean, hey, it's Sunday morning. There's Jared up leading worship. Isn't this great? We love this guy. I mean, apparently. Until November 22nd, the church was made aware of the credible, they say, allegations against him. And the church took a drastic step. Now, I'm not suggesting that the church is all right or all wrong in this. 
if you've ever been in a situation like this, and I have had the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'll just say it pair. I was part of a church congregation at one point that had uh, allegations against a member of the pastoral staff who'd engaged in something like this that wound up resulting in the dismissal of said person. There was a bit of investigation that went on. There was more of an HR investigation. No one, quote unquote, was hurt, but there was there were some documents and things that 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 showed up, and and no one should have had to see them. Put it that way. So that being the case, guy who was involved in it stepped down, got some counseling, was able to kind of rebrand, re- reboot, uh, continued on ministry after being restored through a nice prayerful biblical process and is now serving faithfully in the ministry marriage stayed intact everything was fine other than having to deal with this little discrepancy so i don't know what the case was with jared booker whether it was embarrassment whether it was shock maybe the charges were horribly horrific and we they won't see the light of day here because now there won't be any criminal charges because he was uh, the church was made aware of the, the charges, allegations against him on Ju- uh, November 22nd. By Saturday, November 25th, the church council met and voted to fire him to terminate his employment. On November 26th, the staff, or basically the congregation, was told, Jared's no longer our guy. November 29th, they had set up a church meeting. It looked like it was that Wednesday night or whatever, where they were going to have like a town hall, and they were going to address issues surrounding the case because the congregation had questions and the church wanted to be transparent. But that meeting never happened because on the evening of November 27th, Jared Booker took his life. And according to a statement from Nashua Baptist Church, instead of going to the congregation on November 29th and explaining what was going to happen, they say, regrettably, on the evening of November 27, Jared Booker took his own life, refusing to face the consequences of his own actions. This event added immeasurably to the complexity and pain of the situation. Nashua Baptist Church unequivocally condemns all forms of abuse. It is evil and God hates it. We are committed to transparency and to supporting the healing process for the victims. We have been and will continue to fully cooperate with law enforcement in this investigation and had encouraged Jared to do the same. A tragic tale about a husband, a father, a man of God, a man of the cloth, who had an issue with a sexual problem that just led to all sorts of destruction and broken relationships in the past. Now, you might ask the question, well, what was it about this guy's marriage then that led him down this path of deviance? It's amazing how many husbands and wives get married and they think, well, we met at church, we're in the church, we're serving together in church, everything's going to be fine. But that's not always the case. Pastor and author Chip Ingram takes a serious look at those problems, takes a look at the biblical design for marriage the way it actually is, and in a world of sexual and relational confusion, says we should be consulting what God has to say. His book is called Marriage That Works, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends, and Passionate Lovers. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Chip joins me to talk about it on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. 
what we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and, and Happy, Happy New, New Year, year from, from all of us at Wilson Financial. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. When your marriage is up and down, when it's going through just the regular seasons of life, you may ask yourself the question, why doesn't my marriage seem to work? Well, wouldn't it be great to have a resource that would help you find what it means to have a marriage that works? And Chip Ingram has got just the resource for you. Uh, Chip is teaching pastor and CEO of Living on the Edge, a pastor for more than 30 years in the pulpit, author of many, many books, and a regular not only contributor but also listener to The Bottom Line Show. His brand-new book is called Marriage That Works, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends, and Passionate Lovers. Uh, Chip Ingram, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show today. Roger, it's always a joy to be with you. Thanks you made, so you made me blush a little bit with that subtitle there, sir. I mean, uh, passionate lover part. I mean, a lot of times we, we see a book on marriage or a resource on marriage, and we forget about that part. God's quite okay with that, is he not? The marriage bed is holy, and when your spirits are connected and your souls and emotion, that is a very uh, positive thing that God wants for marriages. Okay, well, let's let's talk. You mentioned the holiness thing, so that's a really good place for us to start. We've seen marriage redefined and reworked and beaten down and built up and torn apart in the culture uh, so many different times over the past couple of decades, and yet you and I both know that God sees marriage a lot more differently than the, the, the culture does. Talk about why the social commitment part between two people isn't nearly as important to God as the holy covenant part. Yeah, I, I think once it becomes a social contract, you hear people, I didn't sign up for this, or right. I'm not fulfilled, or mm-hmm. this isn't working for me. And God, uh, you know, just I want Christians to listen. You know, in America, you can do whatever you want, but for followers of Christ, marriage is a holy covenant. The Old Testament word literally means to cut. Uh, it meant to cut because it actually had the idea of blood mingling together that it is the most sober and holy and serious commitment, an irrevocable commitment uh, to an imperfect person. Hmm. And God made covenants with Noah, with Abraham, Mm -hmm. with Moses. Jesus initiated the new covenant by spilling his blood. And so what happens is when you realize that's an unbreakable covenant, once you realize there is no exit clause, it completely changes. One, it's safe. You can be so vulnerable mm-hmm. with your mate. And two, when it gets really, really hard, which it will, then the answer is, I guess we're going to have to learn, work, forgive, and make it work. And um, I, I just don't think that, you know, in the day that we live in, if there is an exit clause, I, I think you just can't bring to the marriage what it really brings, mm-hmm. because you got to work through the tough stuff. Marriage That Works is the brand new book by Chip Ingram. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and this is a perfect book for this time of year. Well, it's perfect for any time of year, but especially this time of year. Um, you know, you mentioned the whole, uh, that, that I've heard that phrase so many times, I'm sure you have too from couples who have counseled with you. Hey, wait a minute. You know, this was great. It was when it was all hearts and flowers and cards and trips and stuff like that. It was wonderful. The minute it got hard, you hear that I didn't sign up for this, and yet you realize that God really does want to meet the deepest needs and longings of couples. It's just that he goes about it in a way that the culture itself really doesn't 
address. Talk about why it's important for people in the Church especially to understand that. I just—the biggest word I can say is, for everyone listening, making marriage work, you have to follow a counterintuitive design. Mm -hmm. We're all human. I want my wife to meet my needs. It's all about me. Fulfill me. And God's design is literally first being connected to Him, deeply filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the goal in marriage that is so counterintuitive is to say, how can I give my mate more than they deserve? How can I meet his needs or her needs? Mm -hmm. Oh, God, make me an instrument to help them become all that you've made them to be. And you can't do that in your own power, but it is that attitude that creates a marriage of deep intimacy, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. You know, I was thinking of a phrase that uh, your good friend and mine, Jim Burns, likes to use when he talks about marriage. He cites a couple that had been married for many, many years, and he asked the husband, what was the secret to your success for getting to this far? And he said, every day we wake up and we try to outdo each other when it comes to loving each other, you know, putting the need, going so far above and beyond what it means to put the other first. And he said, it's, it's amazing how you don't worry about losing yourself at all, because if your spouse is doing the same thing, then you've got this beautiful oneness that happens here. And that's got to be the craziest thing that this culture has ever heard. Let me just do for you and do for you. And without saying, wait, I mean, it's all about me, right? <laughs> this is what I want, you know, in a marriage, at least. And, and I, I think, Roger, that is, is realizing you know, that, that's a great ideal, but you can try really hard to do that. But I think in marriages at work, people come to grips with at some point in time, I am powerless in my own energy to be that kind of man or that kind of woman. Great point. And, you know, this book is an exposition of Ephesians 5, verses actually 21 through the end of the chapter. But right before it, it talks about, don't be unwise, but wise, and understand the will of the Lord. And then he says, be filled, literally controlled with the Holy Spirit. And then the evidence is, one of the great evidences, submit, therefore, one to another mm-hmm. out of the fear of Christ. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, I have that little picture in the book, the equilateral triangle with God at the top and mm-hmm. man and woman at the bottom, and arrows pointing toward each other, and that's where we tend to put all our focus, you know, toward the other person. And God wants oneness there. But I often have couples, when they're struggling, I ask them to put, you know, their fingers, you know, one of the man, one of the woman, go halfway up. When you draw upon God's resources, what happens to the distance? And then say, okay, go, go an eighth of an inch right below where it says God, the equilateral triangle. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask them, what's going on? And they'll say, oh, wow, our fingers are touching. And I really believe God actually designed marriage that it forces men and women to be dependent on Him. Because there's a bigger message than just, are you happy? Mm-hmm. It's really about him demonstrating Christ's relationship to the church. Great counsel today from Chip Ingram here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Chip's new book is called Marriage That Works, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends, and Passionate Lovers. And we've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You devote a good portion of your writing here, not the whole book, obviously, but a good portion to taking a look at the roles of men and women in modern culture, and especially here in the United States, and then taking a look at how that, you know, you juxtapose that against what the culture says about marriage. And in a world that's trying to redefine gender and redefine stereotypical roles, and I was just reading last week, I guess the Boy Scouts of America is now called Scouts BSA because they want to be more inclusive and that type of stuff. That's got to be somewhat confusing for a couple starting out and saying, wait, we're reading Scripture. 
and Ephesians talks about what you know, a man's supposed to do and a woman's supposed to do, but the culture says, hey, wait a minute. We don't even know what male and female means anymore in the culture. What, talk about why it's important for couples to embrace the uniquely defined roles that God has you know, for themselves and for each other. Uh, Roger, you hit on why I wrote the book. It was a couple years ago, and the publisher said, we think this would be a really good book. And I said, I- I'm not a psychologist. Right. I'm-, I'm a pastor. Sure. And um, this was before the Me Too movement. This was before it's legal to you know, decide when your baby's born whether you want to call it a boy or a girl. And mm-hmm. it's in the midst of all this sexual confusion. I can tell you one thing with absolute certainty. The average man in America and the average woman especially young believers, are really confused about what's it mean to be a man. What is a man's role, who are you to be, and what's his responsibility? What are you to actually do, and how do you do it? And the same for a woman. And so at the risk of um, whatever people may think or not, if you don't get that clear and know how to live that out, uh, by and large, your marriage will not work. I mean, it's just like taking parts of a car and saying, hey, let's just throw out uh, what we used to call them and where they fit together, and let's just hope somehow the car runs. And bad illustration, but, yeah, I really take a lot of time not just to define that, but say if you're the spiritual leader and you're responsible as a man, there's about five characteristics. What's that look like and how do you do it? Mm-hmm. If you're a woman and you're called to step in and do things for your husband and help them in ways that he's desperately in need of, what does that look like? So I just think it's one of the most important things that needs to happen inside the church, Roger. So I'm, I'm, I'm really praying that God will use this to really help couples. Is this an either-or or a both-and when it comes to men and women being confused? Do you think that there's equal confusion on both sides of the aisle with regard to this, what you, this issue you're talking about here? You know, I do. I was uh, on a plane, long plane ride, five hours, and a, a young, um, you know, obviously very smart person, uh, very early 30s in you know, in five hours you become friends. Yes. She saw what I was reading, and uh-huh. we, we really had a great conversation. And she turns to me and she says, you know, I've not shared this with anyone, but, you know, something, I went to school, I've got all this education, I went to grad school, I've got this great corporate job, I got married three years ago. Down deep inside of me, I so want to be a mom. But, but then am I throwing away my education? Or if mm-hmm. I am a mom, mm-hmm. you know, we've got two, we've got two salaries right now, and you know, I don't want to have to put my baby in daycare and not even see my own baby. She goes, I have so many voices in my head. What's it mean to be a woman in this day? Wow. And my heart went out to her because I think that is very, very typical. And I think women have been told you can have it all and do it all. And what they end up with is with two jobs and two responsibilities and too, too much of everything. Mm. And then in the midst of it, men are just told, you know, you're just a loser. The problem of all the world is you. <laughs> you know? I mean, literally, yeah, you yeah. know, you. Uh, and, and so I think men, uh, it sadly, often put a baseball cap on backwards, watch video games, love sports, and say, you know, uh, honey, uh, what am I supposed to do now? Honey, what, what should we do now? Uh-huh. Uh, which, which school should our kids go to now? And they've become passive, and we have passive men and wild women. 
and it, it impacts every part of the relationship. And we need and, to, and in a negative way, yeah. we're seeing it. I was going to say, and it, it, getting back to God's standard is really going to not only improve the quality of our marriages, obviously, but we're really going to see a societal shift as well as when we start accepting those God-given roles again. Uh, to, uh, Chip Ingram is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Marriage That Works is the name of the book, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends, and Passionate Lovers. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll put this up with some shoe leather on this here, too, and talk about some of the things that you're saying, yeah, okay, that's great for you guys anecdotally and theoretically, but you don't know what it's like to deal with my in-laws, or you don't know about the fights we're having about money, or, you know, kids and communication, stuff like that. We're going to get into all that with Chip Ingram in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Hey, Roger Marsh here with a special announcement for our friends at Preborn. This Sunday, December 31st, is the end of the year. It's also the end of the calendar year. It's also the last chance you have to make a tax-deductible donation to Preborn to support the ministry of providing free ultrasounds for women who are expecting and not quite sure what their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, your $28 donation provides an ultrasound visit and also will be doubled, so that's worth $56. If you make a $15,000 donation right now, which is a great thing to do if you have the means. It's a great tax deduction for you. It provides one ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic right here in the Southland. But also, since the gift is doubled, your one ultrasound machine becomes two. But you have to act before midnight, December 31st. Give a gift online at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner that you find right there. It doesn't take more than a minute to make the donation that way. Or give them a call, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY. 850-B-A-B-Y. That's 833-850-2229. Preborn is the best pro-life ministry I've come across in years. The preborn ultrasound technology is life-changing and life-saving. Give a gift today. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Chip Ingram is my guest. We're talking about his classic book, called Marriage That Works, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends, and Passionate Lovers. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of that book we're giving away today here on Everyone Wednesday, along with not one, not two, but three copies of Susie Larson's book called Closer Than Your Next Breath. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, more of my conversation with Pastor Chip Ingram coming up next as the bottom line continues. Chip Ingram is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, the teaching pastor and CEO of Living on the Edge. Uh, how long have you been with Living on the Edge now, Chip? That's a ministry of yours that uh, has been going on for quite some time. Yeah, you know what? We just celebrated 20 years about a year ago, Fantastic. and I am amazed that it's been that long. I think that's great. Livingontheedge.org is the uh, website if you want to learn more about that uh, outstanding ministry. And after many, many years in pulpit ministry, you have devoted yourself and your teaching now to traveling, yeah, international traveling, writing, speaking, things of that nature. And it sounds like this is a really good season for you in terms of the types of things that God has for you to do, like this brand new book, Marriage That Works, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends, and Passionate Lovers. We've got the link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. One of the things this resource does address, Chip, is the fact that there are a lot of people who have just kind of, you know, it's kind of like, well, I live in Seattle, so it's going to rain 250 days a year. I just have to get used to my car smelling like mildew. You know, I mean, that's, I think that's where a lot of people are when it comes to marriage, when it comes to yeah. things like, well, we're just going to fight about money, or I'm never going to get along with my in-laws or something like that. Help us uh, see why it's important, especially for Christian couples, to understand the difference between, you know, what is it, what you call what, what's a heart maker and not necessarily a deal breaker. 
Yeah, I, I think we've come to the point where, you know, we, we think marriage is going to be a Hallmark movie or that what we've experienced in the, in the dating realm is, is these euphoric feelings all the time. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, to have intimacy, it's love, and love is giving another person what they need the most when they deserve it the least mm-hmm. at great personal cost. Mm-hmm. And so if I could just sit down with couples and say, guess what? You're going to have arguments about money, about in-laws, about children, about discipline, about sex, uh, about finances, okay? You're going to because you're different people. That doesn't mean there's something wrong. Memo, it's 100% normal. Now, here's what it requires then. I really want to hear your perspective on this. Okay, I want to hear your perspective. And then it requires a couple to say, what does God's Word say? What's it say about money? What's it say about our kids? What's it, what's it look like to honor our differences? Uh, how do we work things through with, with your family who's always been critical of me? Those are the kind of things that, and, and by the way, I mean, as I shared with you off the air, in our first year or two of marriage, I mean, the best money I, I had to spend was going to counseling because we couldn't resolve conflict. Mm. Uh, we, we couldn't communicate. We had huge, we had everything I just said, we had problems in all those areas. <laughs> and what I want people to know is that if you come together and if you need outside help, get it. Mm-hmm. But those things, you know, they cause sparks. But as you get them resolved, those are the very things that become the bond and the core of your foundation of your marriage. And there's an intimacy that comes, but getting closer means you work through those things. And you've got to have a guide to do it. My experience, Roger, is a lot of people don't know what does the Bible say about the finances. What's it say to a woman about how do you support your husband or as a man? You know, what's it look like to be the provider and the protector? So those are the kind of things I tried to real specifically outline in the book. And you, I'm grateful that you shared. I'm sure some people also picked up on this, too. You said you and your wife, Teresa, you know, in your first early stages of marriage, you know, were finding yourself getting some counseling, talking to mentors, doing what you possibly could to, to figure this out. And there is that, you know, there, there's so much that happens in the culture right now that becomes so common, we just assume that it's normal instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, there is a biblical normal. These things are going to happen because of the conditions that we're in. Um, there's a resource I know that you and I were discussing during the break I want you to talk about, because uh, sometimes people will say, okay, Okay, well, that's great for you, Chip Ingram, because you and Teresa figured it out, you know. And uh, Roger, you're not married, so it doesn't matter to you. But, I mean, in terms of, you know, people who are in the thick of it right now and in the hunt, uh, talk about this resource that was very helpful for you and Teresa that as you're making available to, to people as well. Well, the context is this. We both came from homes that had alcoholic fathers, so mm-hmm. we had baggage. And we had, and neither of us were Christians. We'd never opened the Bible until we were young adults. So we believed a lot of lies. And, and, and the culture was telling us a lot of lies. And so we had a great counselor who'd been a senior pastor for 30 years and then had a psychological background and with the Minareth Meyer Clinic. And he sat us down and he helped us identify the lies, and we actually wrote them down. And, and then he had us write a, put a stop sign on it and then flip the cards over and write, here's the truth. And so it was things like, you know, when, when we are upset or angry with one another, the other person's wrong and I should punish them. Mm. Well, we never came out and said that, but that's how we acted. Right, so she would right. not talk to me for two days, and I would walk around the bed until midnight quoting verses, <laughs> telling her, we got to resolve this. And so I wrote down the top 14 lies and six foundational truths. 
about this is what makes a great marriage. And so we put them on these kind of nice cards, and you just read them out loud. Teresa and I read them out loud for two years on our couch before I went to work. Wow. I mean, change doesn't happen because you try hard. You have to renew your mind. And so, you know, we, we made those cards, and so what we did at Living on the Edge was we said, you know, it's great if people read the book. It's great if we have a small group that goes with it. But what we know is if they don't think differently, you know, five weeks after they read the book, they're going to be right in the same pattern. Correct. So anyone that gets the book at livingontheedge.org, you go there, you just click, and we will give you these cards because we really want to see life change occur. We want to see marriages healed. Well, we will put that link up at thebottomlineshow.com, livingontheedge.org, where you'll find not only uh, information about the brand-new book by Chip Ingram, but also these cards as well. Uh, there are a lot of people who, you know, I, I think it's, it's helpful to understand where are you starting in this, where, do you, you know, where are you moving in this, and the societal changes that have happened so very, very quickly. I was uh, getting some physical therapy recently on my shoulder, and I was overhearing a conversation between a young Generation Z, maybe millennial guy, late 20s, early 30s, and a guy a little bit older than me, and they were talking about the perceptions that they both had of the world. It was really actually a, a wonderful discussion to hear people in two different generations coming to terms with the fact that they were so different, you know, and they realized that their view of the world was so different, but they were appreciating each other's views. Talk to the person who maybe uh, like someone our age who's got kids, like our kids' ages, who are getting married, they're just starting out, and sometimes we'll look at this and say, how are we going to help you guys? Because we just figure you should be doing this stuff, and you're looking at us going, where did all this come from? I had no idea it was going to be like this. How can we, in the, who are a little bit older and further down the road, use a resource like this to help younger people in their, in their marriage pursuit? You know, it's interesting. I just taught uh, this message, the general message of this whole book called Marriage That Works in Naples, Florida, which, as you know, people retire there. Yeah. And it was a very large church, and just one of the services were a couple thousand people. And I just I looked out. I just said, how many people have been married over 40 years? I mean, not, that's rare air. Mm-hmm. Like 50, 60 percent wow. with their hands up. Nice. So I thought, well, I'm going to keep going. How many 50 years? And I bet there was 80 couples. And then I said, how many of you, when you see your children and your grandchildren are deeply concerned because what you see is your values and what made your marriage work is not there. In fact, a great percentage of them in and outside the church are living together, and you're deeply concerned. And boy, you did the body language was just, mm-hmm. oh. You could and, feel it. And what I told him was, you know, actually, um, I, and I told him, I've already given away all the advance and royalties to this book, so I, I've got no skin in the game. Get this book and give it to your kids and your grandkids, and not with a ought or a should, but just to say to them, you know, a lot of marriages aren't working. Here's God's design. He actually created it for your good. But for many of them, I didn't teach you this. Mm-hmm. I, and I, for many of them, we didn't model this very well. Yeah. Uh, we're on our second marriage. I want better for you. This is a clear, simple, practical design about how marriage works. And just encourage you to read it and ponder it. Um, And I think, you know, we even put questions at the end of each chapter, and we really designed it to just help that regular person say, you know, I really love this person, and I want it to last. And unfortunately, the culture is screaming, the moment you don't feel very good or they treat you in a way that hurts your feelings, well, maybe it's not the right person. 
and then we see the spin cycle and the tragedy and the mm-hmm, pain, mm-hmm. and um, it really breaks my heart, Roger. I bet. I, well, I can hear it. I can hear that in your your passion for this project and why it's so important to you, not only for your four grown children, but your eleven grandchildren and counting. Yep. All right. Well, I think uh, I, th- I think uh, I actually have twelve. So you have twelve. Okay. Yeah. And I think we've counted. <laughs> I, you know, I, could, I could be wrong. You know, I, I'm I'm not privy to any other conversations, but I think everyone is pretty well. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and you know what I, I will tell you too is you know our kids saw us. You know I just I mean I get up every morning and I don't I get a great cup of coffee I get my Bible my wife does the same thing, and we spend time with God because what I need to give her I can't right. uh, every single day uh, whether early in the morning and I'll go into her office and sit on the floor and maybe it's ten or fifteen minutes what do you have going today but we talk from the heart mm-hmm. uh, for. Probably the last 30 years, we've gone on a date every week. Good for you. Uh, we, we learned three little questions that I put in the book. You know, what are you concerned about? What do you wish? What are you willing to do? To learn how to communicate. And all I want to say to people is, if you work at it, God has a plan. It can be really, really great. But if you think you love each other and it's just going to work out, i got news for you. There is all hell breaking loose against families and couples. And... Um, Boy, what happens to families when the divorce happens or when you're in these parallel tracks? Um, everyone has enough friends to know that the idea that just finding a new partner, the problem is the same person with the last partner is you. Mm-hmm. And until you get your issues <laughs> dealt with, uh, the repeat is coming. And um, it doesn't have to be that way. Chip Ingram, the great new book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we've got a link for it up for livingontheedge.org as well, uh, where you can get not only the book, but also the uh, the truth cards that Chip was just talking about. Marriage that works, God's way of becoming spiritual soulmates, best friends, and passionate lovers. And you can, I highly recommend this book. Uh, thanks so much for being with me today, Chip. It's always great to connect with you. Blessings to you and your family in the days to come from all of us here at The Bottom Line. Thank you so much, Roger. God bless. Well, my thanks again to Chip Ingram for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about this uh, great, important conversation regarding marriage and a marriage that works. Uh, His book, Marriage That Works, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends and Passionate Lovers is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a, uh, I got a link for the book up there. In addition, we have the opportunity for you to win a copy of this book here on this Everyone Wednesday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, uh, speaking of marriage and marriages that works, what happens when you find a p- person who is engaged in a marriage relationship and guess what happens? Um, <laughs> all of a sudden you find out, well, maybe this guy wasn't quite who we thought he was. You know, a marriage that works involves honesty and being truthful. And we have a couple of examples here. Uh, to talk about with regard to what happens when a marriage does not have honesty and integrity behind it, including what about finding out on his deathbed that your dad, who is dying of cancer, says, oh, by the way, I know you've known me for all of your 38 years of life, but I'm not who you think I am. And you think, gosh, this kind of sounds like a weird dad joke. But in the case of Ashley Rendell, it was not when her dad, Thomas, was dying. Turns out he was one of America's most wanted fugitives and had been on the run for years. His amazing story coming up next as the bottom line continues.
Hey, Roger Marsh here with a special announcement for our friends at Preborn. This Sunday, December 31st, is the end of the year. It's also the end of the calendar year. It's also the last chance you have to make a tax-deductible donation to Preborn to support the ministry of providing free ultrasounds for women who are expecting and not quite sure what their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, your $28 donation provides an ultrasound visit and also will be doubled, so that's worth $56. If you make a $15,000 donation right now, which is a great thing to do if you have the means. It's a great tax deduction for you. It provides one ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic right here in the Southland. But also, since the gift is doubled, your one ultrasound machine becomes two. But you have to act before midnight, December 31st. Give a gift online at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner that you find right there. It doesn't take more than a minute to make the donation that way. Or give them a call, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY. 850-B-A-B-Y. That's 833-850-2229. Preborn is the best pro-life ministry I've come across in years. The preborn ultrasound technology is life-changing and life-saving. Give a gift today. Thanks again to Chip Ingram for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Our visits are too few and too far between. Love working with Chip, and uh, he's very been he's been very gracious over the years in his support of the Bottom Line Show, especially when uh, with his listeners in his uh, hometown of KCBC in the Bay Area. The book Marriage That Works: God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends, and Passionate Lovers is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have one copy of the book we're giving away today here on Everyone Wednesday as part of our Everyone Wednesday prize package. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. the the number to get you through to the bottom line. Honesty is the hallmark, the bedrock of any successful marriage. But what happens when a guy who is honest, hardworking, reliable, dependable, a good husband, a good father, pulls you aside as he's nearing death and says, oh yeah, um, there's one thing I forgot to tell you. We have such a case right here before us here. And it makes me wonder what it must be like to be the child of such a guy. Ashley Randell gave an interview with Fox News Digital recently. And her dad was uh, dying a couple of years ago. And she's, they have a podcast called True Crime. And uh, she was stunned to find out that when her dad was dying, he came clean with her about who he really was. Now, there are a lot of times you'll hear a story like this and say, oh, yeah, because dad's gay or dad's, uh, you know, had a a separate family somewhere or something like that. How about this one? Ashley Rendell, this is in 2021. Her dad, Thomas, is, um, is, uh, he's nearing death. And he was diagnosed with aggressive form of lung cancer. He, it took his life two months later. While he was dying, he said he made a confession to her. And she said, you know, there were a lot of things about my dad. He was a good, doting father, loving husband. But there's some things in his li- our lives that just didn't add up. Like one time, my mom had a chance to go on a vacation to France. And we wanted the three of us. It was just uh, the three of them there growing up, one child. And, uh, and and dad said, no, you know what? Why don't you guys go? And I'm just going to stay here. I got some work to do and this, that, and the other thing. And she said, I thought, my dad loves traveling. Why would he not want to travel? Well, when he made his confession, it got me thinking as to maybe there was more to my dad than what was on the story, uh, was his story. It turns out that uh, 
Thomas Randell was not Thomas, really Thomas Randell. He told his daughter, look, um, I'm a fugitive. At one point, I was one of America's most wanted fugitives. And I have been avoiding the law for more than 50 years. She said, now, when he first told me this, I thought, okay, he's just trying to make the situation a little lighter. Dad's, you know, facing death. He was the king of the terrible dad jokes. And I, I felt it just like it was a weird dad joke. And he said, no, no, seriously, my name is not, my given name at birth was not Thomas Randell. Um, and she said, okay, dad, whatever you say. So you changed your name and the authorities are looking for you. Yeah, sure they are. But then he told me his name, his real name. And, you know, this is 2021. And I'm looking for, uh, I, I got the internet. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go ahead and take a look at this. So I did a little digging. And I began to find out exactly who my dad was. He told me his real name was Theodore John Conrad. And so I did a little digging and I looked up a Theodore John Conrad. And all of a sudden, it was the weirdest thing because the internet, you know how you do a Google search? And you try to find your name or this, that, and the other thing. She said, quite frankly, I found more information about Theodore John Conrad being a fugitive than I did about Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. I'm thinking to myself, Ashley says, how could I grow up with such a wonderful childhood? Two parents who were devoted to her, devoted to each other, constant presence at every soccer game, school play, piano recital, you name it. This is a guy who would tuck his little girl in every night at bedtime. He even wrote a lullaby for her called My Ashley. She said, you know, I know it might sound silly, but I would never keep secrets from my parents. My parents are the ones who wanted to keep me safe. I felt like we were open and loved each other very, very much. But then she said, okay, here's the deal. Um, The French thing came up. She goes, I was in French class and... um, be an opportunity to go if my parents would chaperone the trip would be less expensive my mom said i should do it tom you should do it too and he said nah uh, i don't want to go to france uh and she said i thought well maybe he doesn't have a travel bug so there's another time when i was in high school i wanted to do one of those at-home dna tests to learn about your heritage they were such a big thing and my dad said no don't do that i mean what, what's the point i mean people get your dna and then it feels weird and I thought, yeah, yeah, that is weird. You're sending your DNA to a company. That is kind of right. But then I realized, looking back now, wait a minute, my dad couldn't have gone to France because he didn't have a passport because you can't get a passport without a birth certificate. And he didn't have a birth certificate because that's not his real name. And then what if I'd matched, mailed my DNA in and it matched me to relatives that I didn't even know existed? So when he got cancer... She started digging, and all of a sudden she found out, here's the deal. Theodore John Conrad, a.k.a. Thomas Randell, was a 20-year-old bank teller at the Society National Bank in Cleveland. One day, on a Friday in 1969, he walked out of his branch with a paper bag containing $215,000 in it. That is the equivalent of $1.7 million in today's funds in funding. A couple of days later, the bank discovered the money was missing and Theodore Conrad was never seen again. 
As a matter of fact, it became such a big deal, he was featured on America's Most Wanted. He was on Unsolved Mysteries. But somehow, Theodore John Conrad disappeared without a trace. According to authorities, looking back, Conrad had become obsessed with the 1968 movie The Thomas Crown Affair, starring Steve McQueen, which is about a bank robbery for sport by a millionaire businessman. And Conrad told his friends that he would love to do that, thought it would be very easy. So basically, he said, look, it wasn't about money. It was basically he just wanted to start over. He was growing up in not the best of family circumstances. He wanted to leave that life far behind. And so basically what happened was he found out he could get a new Social Security card fairly easily in 1969. And so he, 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 he planned the ruse. He got a new card. He established a new uh, identity. The one point or the $215,000 was gone in fairly short order. And once he relocated to uh, the Eastern Seaboard out of Cleveland, he wound up <laughs> having a nice business. He, he sold cars. He, he worked on repairs. He was just John Q. Normal. But he didn't like his old life, and that's why he created a new one. So Theodore John Conrad, a.k.a. Thomas Randell, was laid to rest in 2021, and his daughter Ashley now knows the real truth about her, how, who her biological father really was. But now here's the question for us. If she never found out that Thomas Randell, her dad, was really Theodore John Conrad, bank robber, fugitive, America's most wanted, would that have made her childhood any less real? Would it have made it any less secure and safe? For all intents and purposes, after this one-time heist, this guy turned out to be a model citizen, but he had to leave his past behind to get to that point. So what's the spiritual takeaway for us, especially when you get into a marriage and you find out, hey, the person I'm married to turns out to not really be the person I want to be with because I don't really know who they are. Let's take a look at that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and, and Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year from, from all of us at Wilson Financial. Financial. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, your last chance to call in and get the one copy of the book we're giving away, Marriage That Works, God's Way of Becoming Spiritual Soulmates, Best Friends and Passionate Lovers. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're looking at the bizarre story of a man from Massachusetts by the name of Thomas uh, Rendell, who basically kept a secret from his wife and daughter for his daughter's entire life. 
the fact that he was actually born in theater, John Conrad. He robbed the bank when he was 20, stole $215,000 from them, spent all the money creating a whole new life for himself, moved from Cleveland to Massachusetts, and then for 38 years was a model husband, father, citizen. When Ashley found out, she said, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really change the relationship I had with my dad. I wish he could have been truthful. I wish he could have told us. I mean, they wanted to go to the authorities once they find out what really happened. They didn't want to be accused of being accomplices. Uh, turns out, you know, they were able to shut the, the case and it's all said and done. But here's the deal. There's a tendency for us as Christians when we come into a marriage relationship, when we're parenting our kids, even when we come before God, just as we are without one plea. O Lamb of God, we come, we come to you seeking salvation. And there's a part of us that says, you know what, I want to create a new identity so God doesn't see my old sinful past. Maybe he'll love the new me. So I'll try to be that person. Like Jared Booker, the uh, pastor in New Hampshire who wound up uh, being accused of several credible cases of child molestation and wound up taking his life rather than having to face the music as to who he is. All of us have to come before God and we have to face the facts of who we are and what we've done in the past. We also have to believe that God can forgive us of those sins. If you can believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin on the cross, and if you can believe that his death and resurrection pay the penalty and wipes clean your slate before God, you will have eternal life. And if you can't, then all the best you can hope for is that you can get out of this life and not have to face the charges before you, not realizing that you will ultimately stand before the judge and jury, and that's God and Jesus Christ. That's Jared Booker's case right now. But in the case of Thomas Randell, a.k.a. Uh, Theodore Gordon, creating a whole new identity, you don't have to. You know why? Because God gives you that new identity when he says, you are mine. You once were lost, but now are found. You were blind, but now you see. You have been clothed in righteousness, brother and sister. You are called by a new name, and that new name begins with child of the living God. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.